Hi there! Welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where a father and son sit around and talk about some fantasy books, uh, occasionally, I guess. I'm the son, Zach. And I'm the father, Jim, wearing a blue sh- shirt like I usually do. Though Zach has something very interesting on today. Oh yeah, they're, they're my, my little dinos. It's my dino sweater. Rach got it for me like a year ago now. It's fantastic. It's comfortable. And when I wear it at work, the kids love it. Nice. I can imagine that. Can we think of it as a dragon for the sense uh, of this episode? Sure. It doesn't really fit for that kind of dragon. Mm, that's true. All right. I'll give it to you. It worked for like Godzilla Rand in the last episode. I could have referenced it, but in this one, not so yeah. much. Yeah. Well, we want to thank everybody for joining us here for our podcast episode today. YouTube, podcast, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, if you're watching, you're on YouTube. Thanks for being here. We hope you subscribe to our content and like this video. And if you really go all in, find us on Patreon and support the content we're trying to put out for you here. We do pour, and by we, I mean mostly me, put a lot of money into the various software and stuff involved. Zach is still working towards getting a job where he makes lots of money, and then he will pay all of it for us. That's But in the meantime, (laughs) it's still coming from me. We love doing this, but anybody who chooses to support us on Patreon is super, super appreciated. And then we throw some benefits your way, like we've got a few people with us in our live recording here who you'll probably hear some of the things that they drop because it makes us laugh and we must include it. That's how it works. Yes. Also, of course, share the love for our content by, as I said, liking it on YouTube. If you're listening on the audio feed, give us a, a star rating in Apple Podcasts, like us on Spotify, all the places that you listen We appreciate your support in helping spread the word that we're doing some fun stuff here in Fantasy for the Ages. Now that's out of the way. How are you doing, Dad? I'm doing fine. It's a weekend. Who doesn't like a weekend? Uh, The person who works right through it. Okay, but that's not me. I did have to work on Saturday, but it's Sunday today. So I'm relaxing and enjoying some time doing some podcast YouTube recording with you. How are you doing, son? I'm doing well. I'm just going to kind of roll right into what I'm drinking here because last episode we did record before this. My nice dino sweater is going to be in both episodes here. And I wasn't drinking anything because we started a little earlier, but I have started now stepping up. I'm moving over to this cute little sip and cream. It's strawberry. It's got a bunny on it. Um, a bunny. They have a whole bunch bunny, of flavors. And bunny. some of them are really Ooh, tasty like and some of them are kind of tasty. But this is the strawberry one. It's pretty tasty. All right. And I have my good old favorite Long Island iced tea going all the way back to my 20s. This has been my go to drink. We used to Zach and I, by the way, we are Taekwondo black belts. Correct. We used to go and train regularly. And Fridays was sparring night. It was fun. And we'd go spar with different people based on who you were and what ability level you were. You had different people to spar with. And when we get done, We'd go out to dinner, and they had great Long Islands where we'd go. So I had one, and Zach did not at that I was not of legal age. But that was a good time, and good Long Islands. And sparring was usually a good time. There was the one time I think I broke my toe. That wasn't a lot of fun. Kind of skipped Long Island, just went home, and almost 
passed out from pain. And then there was the time that your mother called me to caused me to pull a groin muscle. But uh, yeah, there's okay, good times. You can't really blame it on her if you're not flexible enough to put your leg as high as you tried to. I did put it as high as I tried to. I did a nice side kick, right crescent kick, inner crescent kick, technical term, right up to her head. But she's my wife, so I'm not actually going to clock her in the head. I just kind of a little love tap and got the points for it. But then she jerked away. Now my ankle is right at her shoulder. So when she jerked away, that pulled my groin. Like I said, you weren't flexible enough to get up there <laughs> like you wanted. You got up there, getting out of there was a little harder. Hey, I won the match. She taught me a lesson. <laughs> oh, the things we experience. All right. Well, why are we gathered here now for this episode? This is a midweek special. It is? It is. It's another it is. one of our to read or not to reads. These mm -hmm. are fun. What are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about another series that's well-known, mm -hmm. well-loved, well-appreciated for so many reasons. But will we tell people to read it or not? That is to be determined. And it is J.R.R. Tolkien's probably ultimate work, The Lord of the Rings. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind. We are still going to try to be spoiler light. That being said, this is well known enough that I feel like a lot of things here and there are really hard <laughs> to not just like, it's already been spoiled. Come on, where you been? What rock are you living under? To not know about the Lord of the Rings, you can't just have been living under a rock. It had to be specifically shielded with special metallic radioactive proof. You were under a tinfoil rock. It's like, holy cow, how do you not know about this? But legitimately, there are still people who have not read The Lord of the Rings. Yes. But they've watched the movie. I mean, they've seen the and stuff. There are people who have read it, not watched the movies. But even then, they know it's a thing. Oh, yeah. You may not know details, but you know it's a thing. So let me start out like I usually do in these episodes and just give some of the facts about The Lord of the Rings, some detail about how it came to be. It's considered by most fantasy readers as the opus of J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm -hmm. It has shaped much of fantasy fiction that we see today. But its origin flows from the success of the small little book called The Hobbit, published back in 1937. That's kind of mind-blowing for many people, that The Hobbit was all the way back in 37. The Hobbit, surprisingly to many, was a smash success. And so the publishers were like, we need more of this. J.R.R., what else you got? He's like, all right, I'll, I'll write a sequel. I mean, he had ideas. You know, The mm -hmm. Hobbit wasn't created in a vacuum. He had thoughts. So he starts working on a sequel to The Hobbit. But then his mind starts going on and on and on. And his, he's fleshing out this entire world that he'd created for The Hobbit. But it really hadn't completely developed and wow it developed as he kept writing and writing now there was an extra challenge to him creating the lord of the rings and that is he wasn't mm -hmm. a writer he had a full-time job as a university professor so he couldn't just commit himself day after day hour after hour writing and yet he's a very busy man 
and he's still writing something extremely detailed and complex. And, and so it's little bits and pieces that he can get to over time. And it basically took him 10 years to write The Lord of the Rings. So 1947, he's got what he thinks is The Lord of the Rings, okay, which was not just what you now know of as The Lord of the Rings. It also include no. what you now know of as The Silmarillion. Okay. Because his idea, he's creating something that will be a two-volume set. The Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion. That's his thought. That's his plan. Lord of the Rings is this epic story of what happens in the Third Age to conquer the Lord of the Rings, Sauron. The Silmarillion being the entire backstory. How we get to the point of needing to have the Lord of the Rings. So he's got this whole thing worked out and it's beautiful and it's mm -hmm. epic. And, mm -hmm. and then he goes to the publishers. Here's what I've got. And they're like, yeah, no. no. We, we wanted a sequel to The Hobbit. That, what this the heck is that. this? It's too much for one thing. And okay, this Lord of the Rings thing, that that's kind of cool. That might work. But this is Silmarillion thing. No, we don't need this at all. What the heck? We didn't tell you to write this. So there's about five years of hemming and hawing and arguing and editing back and forth until finally 1952. He's at the point where he's desperate. Tolkien starting to think this is never going to get published. My idea, my vision, they just don't get it. And, and they're not going to do anything. So he starts to cave. And he starts to backpedal a little. Fine. Okay, we'll, we'll pare it down. We'll drop this Silmarillion thing. I'll get the Lord of the Rings into... Wait a second. You don't just want one book? You want three books? Really? You want to break it apart? What are you Ew. doing? To... Okay, so they're still arguing, but fine. We get yeah. it shaped into three sections which is what we know of course now today so the fellowship of the ring ring the being towers. the first part then the two towers yep and, and then, then finally, finally the return of the king so fellowship of the ring drops in july of 1954 the two towers comes out in november of the same year then there's almost a year before the final book the return of the king that's october of 1955 and the reason is and this is kind of fun. The Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers sold very well. Mm -hmm. Now he's got a little more power. He's like, remember that Silmarillion thing you didn't want? I think people do. But okay, you're not going to publish my whole Silmarillion. Fine. So he writes the appendices, which were attached to the original edition of The Return of the King. And it's a lot of the core stories from the Silmarillion in just little appendix pieces that mm -hmm. are added on but it took him time to convert them from the book he had of short stories from the Silmarillion into appendix versions so that was the delay he finally put it out there now if you buy the return of the king these days it doesn't usually have the appendices anymore but that's because you can now buy the Silmarillion right 1977 it was finally published now this is posthumously Tolkien had passed away. His son Christopher edited it into a format now that could share all these stories his dad wanted from the original First Age and the Second Age that fill in so much of the story of The Lord of the Rings. Just amazing. Side note, he had help. And one of our Discordians, Jordo, is in here, has is a big fan of the person who helped Christopher Tolkien edit it, mm -hmm. Guy Gavriel Kay, Canadian fantasy author. 
doesn't get much credit for Silmarillion, but he's there. And I can honestly say I've read the Silmarillion. I haven't gone super, super in depth for it. I actually buckled down and actually finished it for a college class at one point. Good class. But I want to say it's like been re-released in multiple different versions. And sometimes the Silmarillion itself gets broken up and we get even more because it was never really finished Tolkien work that got published by J.R.R. Yeah, I love the Silmarillion. I've read it just twice. I've read pieces of it more than that, but uh, it's so good. You know, it makes so much more sense of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit when you have mm -hmm. all of the backstory of the creation of the world and all the things that happened leading up to why we end up with rings and Sauron as he is and and now, the, the nations of Rohan and Gondor and, and the Rangers of the North. I mean, it explains everything. The elves, what the heck's going on with the elves? You get it all when you read the Silmarillion. There's one last like publication related note that I actually wanted to bring up because it's a story that I have not checked the full validity of how true this is, but I love it if it is true because okay. it is fantastic and wonderful. So J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, these two were friends. And they, along with some others, would like go out drinking sometimes. They'd talk about things for months and months and months. Tolkien's talking about this thing he's really enjoying. He's He's been working on it, but he's really not confident on like ever being done with it. He's a perfectionist. He's working on The Hobbit. And one night, C.S. Lewis is like, yeah, and there's this thing. We're going to go down to this other town. We're going to go together. I'll meet you there, and we're going to go and do this thing together. Tolkien goes, yeah leaves town to go do that thing and meet C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis does not go do that thing. He breaks into Tolkien's house, takes the current manuscript of The Hobbit, and takes it to a publisher and says, he's been working on this for a long time. This needs to happen. And then we got The Hobbit, because Tolkien wasn't letting go of his perfectionism until then. I did not ever hear that story. Discord hasn't heard that story either. Really? I've heard it. I don't know if it's actually true. I really want it to be. I love that story. <laughs> I have to research that some more. That's amazing. <laughs> Discord, Emily says, who's going to do that to Patrick Rothfuss? Let's get, let's get that last, last book of the King Care Chronicle out. Come on, just take but it out of his hands. It's great knowing and seeing. Tolkien <laughs> spent a lot of time with all of his works. But for as much time as he spent on The Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion, and the fights he had with publishers, we might never have even gotten any of it getting through his own editing process first. Perhaps. Now, we'll, we'll talk, you know, some details here of what, I mean, he put so much into this series. That's amazing. And that's why it took him so long. And, and really, we should be thankful for all the work he did into us, because it set the groundwork for so much of what has come in fantasy after it. Uh, but before we dig further into it, I just, mm -hmm. as usual, want to take a little time to talk about our personal experiences with this series. And I'll go first this time. Mm -hmm. And I have no freaking idea when I first read The Lord of the Rings. As far back as I can remember, I knew of The Lord of the Rings. I saw in the theaters... The animated version back in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it Wild. sucked. I thought it sucked. I really did. 
partly because I, I believe it was published in like two editions, like two movies, and I only saw mm-hmm. the first one. Mm. So I'm like, it doesn't end, and I never saw the ending. That that's my memory. Uh, but I've I've gone back and looked at you know what's out there, and it really wasn't a good adaptation to start with. <laughs> so okay but that was probably my first experience i was a young kid i wasn't even 10 yet you know when that would have been out but nevertheless it was fantasy and i'm interested maybe that kind of piqued my interest it might have been the first real fantasy fiction i experienced for all i know i do know i bought my first edition of the lord of the rings in college freshman Mm -hmm. year used bookstore Still have the copies here in the house. Old beat up paperbacks. Those are probably the copies I've read from initially. Yes, yes. Uh, You can still read them. And I I read them so many times. Bought an edition of The Hobbit that was the same paperback edition as the Lord of the Rings copies. I took, as a young teacher in the 90s, took my fifth graders through The Hobbit. Just my more advanced readers as a lunchtime book club. So instead of going out to recess, they stayed in the classroom with their lunch. And through lunch and recess, we would talk about the section they had read over the past week. You know, we'd do it once a week. And they loved it. It was great. Mm -hmm. And I love talking fantasy with students that I'm kindling the joy for it. So I had read The Lord of the Rings over the years multiple times. And then finally we get to, holy cow, they're making movies of these. (laughs) And... For all the grief we'll give about adaptations of fantasy fiction at times, it's partly because of the adaptation of The Lord of the Rings, because it was epic. The Lord of the Rings did not screw it up. Yes, it left some things out. Yes, it tweaked some things, but nothing massively to change the spirit of that tale. Uh, The Lord of the Rings movies are superb. And uh, there you go. That's enough talking about me and Lord of the Rings. What about you? Well, interestingly enough, where you'd leave off is where my journey begins. Because I'm alive at that point, finally. And you've got something that you love, think is awesome, and you share it with your kids. I'm not at an age where I'm going to be reading either of those books yet, and I'm seeing those movies. I cannot tell you when I first saw the first one. I assume it was pretty dang early, considering I'm pretty sure we as a family went and saw Return of the King. I'm theaters. sure, yes. Oh, I'm oh, not yes. positive that we saw Two Towers in theaters all together, but I know we saw Return of the King. Well, what years did those come out? 2002, 3, and 4, I think. It might be okay. 1, 2, I, and 3. There's a good chance we took you along, even though you were a little tyke. There's a good chance. Um, I know I did see... Return of the King in theaters with you. And we've seen them all growing up. We watched them regularly. I fell in love with the world and the lore through those. And it's to the extent where we watched the extended editions. I don't know the difference between the extended editions and the theatrical releases because I don't remember what's missing. The extended edition is the only valid version. There are bits and pieces here where I later heard wait, that wasn't in the theatrical release? That completely invalidates that character's motivations. (laughs) Exactly! Faramir is an example. So is Boromir. And there's not a lot of things that I remember that about, 
but Faramir, that's the biggest one that I always kind of stuck with. Skip ahead up a little bit, and I'm reading more. I first read The Hobbit. It was one of the first big fantasy books that I actually read, and it was out of spite. We have a very pretty edition in the house, your house. I'm not in that house anymore. But it is something that I have specifically said in many, many, many years when you eventually die, because that will happen before I do. You're 30 years or older than me. I sure hope you die first. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no other way to put that. If possible, I would like that part bequeathed to me in the will. Uh, I think it's a beautiful book and I want it. I will fight anyone and everyone for it. But my sister tried. She tried. She would picked it up, started reading it, went a few chapters in. Was like, it's not really for her. And I heard mom had tried as well, but hadn't gotten through it. And I was like, I'm in second, third grade. I want to read it. And maybe I would have gotten through it. Maybe I wouldn't have. But when my sister comes up to me and goes, hey, you're not getting through that because I got through like four chapters. You can be damn sure I finished that book. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I remember taking that book to church on Sundays and I read it like after service while everyone else is being social and stuff. And I'm like, nope, I'm reading The Hobbit because I'm going to finish this book. And from that moment for the next like decade, it was my favorite book, period. Eventually, I did go read The Lord of the Rings and those took me a little bit to get through because they are dense. It's not a style of writing that I really loved as much it's not written the same way as the hobbit mm -hmm. i went back and eventually did reread lord of the rings and at that point finished the summerillion in college as i said at the beginning here for a class that was going and analyzing the themes a little bit further and so i appreciate the work but i didn't get the same love from reading the lord of the rings as i did the hobbit which was my childlike wonder introduction to fantasy well, uh, I'm glad you mentioned all that the way you did then. You know, their critical acclaim, really. Uh, the Hobbit was a great success. The Lord of the Rings actually went next level. Much, much bigger in the end of, of people who love the Lord of the Rings. Then you got to the Silmarillion eventually. It never captured the love of either the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings. Because it's, it's backstory. And it wanders here and there. It's not one cohesive story. You know, it's a whole bunch of little vignettes that do all kind of tie together into a master overstory, but it's not the same. Let's move on to talking about general strengths of the series. Yeah, absolutely. And really, let's hold ourselves to the Lord of the Rings. Not the I Hobbit, down for not that. the Silmarillion. Yeah, okay, Lord of the Rings. I'll give one strength, and that's Tolkien's emphasis and reliance on geography mm. which huge impact on the fantasy genre you know he designed a map of this world of middle earth that was very intentional and and the plot line follows through the map heck we got a trivial pursuit game and a risk game you know that relies on the map you know and the journey through these different places they become very real um the map nobody had done that before yeah the map that's right freaking on the, on the wall <laughs> behind you yes thank you if you're with us on youtube look at the map heck i'll take the moment and uh highlight you so we can see more of the map let's see solo layout boom there Since it is i was a child i've had this massive map on my walls 
glorious screen. Yes. What a map. And then I will jump back. So the map as an underpinning of the plot and the experience the characters have, that wasn't common. That was not mm. something people did. And he took the time to create the really create this world physically. It did add a lot of strength to the writing, to the series, to the experience, this whole plot. So I think that's one of the strengths of the series that it, it's based on a, a real physical place that he brings to life for us and gives us a map. And piggybacking on that, I'm going to go a step further to say that one of these biggest strengths is just the world building in general. The, and the idea of world building, of having depth of lore and this fantastical world is something that Tolkien really paved the way for and gave us fantasy. And the way that he did it is some of the best that's ever been done. That isn't to say that necessarily that's the best fantasy fiction out there or that it is the best telling of the world building and lore out there, but rather that if you actually get into the lore, if you look at what Tolkien made, it is intricate and detailed and a world that you can lose yourself in. People compare others' writings against Tolkien's world building. That's the bar. He created the bar. Yeah, that's fair. Another strength of the series I'll throw in here is I think he's got some really good prose. The way yeah. he has written the elements. Now, some people find it's too outdated these days and they get a little lost in it, but he's very intentional with his use of language. I mean, the English language was beautiful to him, and he tried to bring that beauty into his writing. Now, he goes a little further in his use of poetry and mm. song, which I'll toss in preference. That's a weakness, <laughs> but that's the <laughs> next thing we go into. Okay. But if you, it's not really a weakness, that's just a preference. You need to spend time in the poetry and the songs that he intentionally put in there because they add things that the prose does not include. They okay? matter. There's elements that you need to know about to truly appreciate this story that you get no other way. And he doesn't just throw these songs and elvish poems and stuff in willy-nilly. I mean, they're in an intentional places that have to do with the rise and flow of the plot of the story. Mm -hmm. So it adds an elegance to it that many would say is a strength if you can stomach them. Mm. Any other strengths you want to point out? The last big strength that I want to say is that while many of his characters are heavy in the archetype category, a lot of them do retain a sense of reality. Not that they are realistic. Uh, a lot of them are very much like this is your hero and this is your this and that. But my go-to of this man made fantastic characters is Gollum. Mm. The intricacy of a character like that requires forethought and effort in writing that I appreciate. And I think it's a strength of his. Gollum is a fantastic character. Far more fleshed out than the Gollum we saw in The Hobbit. What he did with that character in the Lord of the Rings was amazing. I'll also say, you know, there are fantasy authors 
after Tolkien who have demonstrated too much black and white. The good are so good. The bad are so bad. And Tolkien didn't do that. He's got a lot of characters who are both. Boromir is a great example. Don't get me wrong. He does have black and white. Yeah. But not every character. That's right. And Boromir, one of the core characters of the Fellowship, he's a good guy. And yet he has some struggles. He has some temptations. He fails and yet is redeemed. Again, not full spoils. So we won't dig in any further, but he's complex. And these complex characters, Tolkien has a lot of them that are very complex characters. So I think that's a strength. Now, to hop over and get into some weaknesses, I'm going to go to the one that you mentioned you thought was a strength. I think it is a weakness. In my opinion, Tolkien has too good of prose. He writes to a level that means you have to work to read it. It's not casual. He loves his writing. And it that doesn't mean you have to write <laughs> to a dumb level of intelligence to have good prose, but rather to a modern reader, intelligent or not, it can often be quite dry the way that he explains things. Is it intentional? Yeah. Yes, but I don't want to spend three pages talking about dirt. See, I'll, I'll go with that. It's meaty. There's a lot to his writing. It's chewy. You can't just fly through it. Well, and that's a good word for it. Um, one of my favorite like quotes about books comes from Inkhart. And it talks about how books, some are meant to be chewed, some devoured, and some rare few are meant or tasted, some devoured, some rare few are meant to be chewed and actually properly digested. And that's that's Tolkien for you. You need to do that. It forces you to take the time to chew through it. Okay. I don't want to spend a lot of time with weaknesses on Tolkien because I don't think there are a lot of weaknesses. Again, it was bar setting. I'll give you the fact that a modern fantasy reader will not find reading it as simple and pleasurable as some of the more modern things. You have to work a little more. There are parts where you're like, oh, can we move on already? Even though they're not very mm -hmm. long, mm -hmm. uh, you feel that way. But that's a product partly of the time, too. He had nothing else he's comparing against. He's creating this whole style. There's the really thing. not much of anything out there yet. So I have one more weakness that I wanted to touch on that isn't actually I don't know weakness. if our fans can stand one more weakness, well, Zach. But the thing. go ahead. Trump. It's not. But to someone who hasn't read The Lord of the Rings, it may seem one. If you haven't read it and you're in a modern reader context, which we are now, it can seem tropey. It can seem like some of these things are overdone. And you have to remember this was the first one. It created tropes. But regardless it of whether or not... It tropes because it was the first, yeah. like you said, the first one. So there was nothing else at all. There's no regardless trope. Regardless of whether one. or not it is first or last... If you're sitting in a bookstore, a library, or whatever, and looking at the entire section, you judge the entire section. You can understand the context of where it comes from, but if we're trying to recommend, do you read this or not, a modern reader has the context that these tropes now exist. Now, I'm going to jump back to sort of strength. I'm not going to give another weakness. I refuse to give another weakness here. I'm going to say a strength is that if you're someone willing to read it, okay, if you can get past the fact that it's not modern anymore, it's 
a little dated. The story he told still stands up against any story that's out there. That's a strength. After all these years, the story is it's still solid. And, and that's why the freaking movies were amazing and, you know, introduced Tolkien to a whole new generation, many who had never read his stuff and fell in love. And The Return mm -hmm. of the King won so many Oscars, which was really Oscars for the series as a whole, um, because it was an amazing story and still is. So brings us to the question. Would you ever read the series again, Zach? No. Will I watch the movies again? Yes. Will I read The Hobbit again? Yes. Will I read parts of it for research or things? Yes. But will I read the entire Lord of the Rings again? No. And I have to agree with you. I won't read it again. I have read it multiple times already. So that's enough. And all of my readings and rereadings were before the movies. The movies do such a beautiful job of telling the story, bringing it to life, that I will continue to watch the movies. Now, I will not put in the effort to read the books again, because there's so many other books out there I want to read still. I will say, Jordo drops in the Discord a suggestion that I may take him up on, because there is a BBC production, theatrical read, something along those lines, of The Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And from what I've seen, things I've enjoyed, I really enjoy a lot of what the BBC puts out, regardless of when it was done. From the 60s to today, I like a lot of what the BBC does. So you I'm Whovian. Kind of, but I probably would actually be willing to give that a go. It doesn't, it's not the same as reading it again, but it is still doing more in that vein. Okay. Rating scale time, one to a hundred. Okay. Very subjective. It's just how do you feel the series rates in comparison to all the rest of the fantasy fiction that you've read? I think when you say how it rates in comparison to all the other fantasy fiction I have read. Give it an 80. Some people will come at me thinking that's way too low. Some people might come at me saying that's a little high. But I give it an 80. I'm a 90. It is such an epic tale. And some of that is probably impacted by having read The Silmarillion as well. I'm with J.R.R. Tolkien. You needed the Silmarillion to truly get the most out of the Return of the King. And I've read it and I love it. So it's strong. And I've read a lot of other fantasy fiction still. And it's hard to rise to Tolkien level. Now, the style of what I'm reading. Oh, there's a lot of others where I enjoy mm -hmm. the style much more oh. than Tolkien now. But the story that's told, it's amazing. So and it's that's a the kind of thing. A lot of the Lord of the Rings the story, movies, the other works, the lore itself does get up to that like 90 category for me. But actually sitting down and reading it is not something that I personally actually really enjoyed Too that much. Too much work now. There was and, a oh, lot of needing to, I felt like I was songs, sitting down to read it poems. and something that I already knew the story, but I was sitting yeah. down to actually read it fighting through something that I was like, I'm going to enjoy this, but I have to keep telling myself I'm enjoying this. I made I'm going a on an adventure, but if I'm I'd bored never, already. If I had never known <laughs> what it already was going to be, maybe I would have enjoyed the process of reading to discover it more, but that wasn't my case. So it dropped the score a little. Okay. Final question. What sort of person do we think may enjoy this series? 
Oh, that's hard to answer. Reading the series, a fantasy nerd. Like, if you're, if I think you're someone who would really enjoy reading the series, chances are you already have. <laughs> that's great. It's hard to picture someone I'd recommend it to who hasn't already read it. Because if you're the kind of person who would enjoy it, you've probably already read it. Yeah. And if you haven't yeah. already read it, and you might enjoy it. You probably it, don't care. I need to put you in on something else first. If you haven't read it, but you might enjoy it, it's probably because you haven't read a lot of fantasy, and I need to get you started on gateway fantasy first, because you know, Tolkien is not what you start you with. If are is a Brandon Sanderson honk, and now you're going to try Tolkien? I don't know. I don't know if you can get there. Sanderson is so cinematic, and Tolkien was not. A lot of it is slow to develop, and all this prose that's so elegantly written and they created great cinema from it, but that's because they did great work adapting it. The books themselves? I'll tell you this, though. If, you've, if you are someone who, say, listens to our podcast, has read The Wheel of Time multiple times, but you've never gotten around to giving The Lord of the Rings a try, you probably actually would enjoy it. That kind of well-built epic fantasy is something you will find. But if you haven't read The Hobbit, don't read The Lord of the Rings. You gotta read The Hobbit first. That's an absolute. And that's the interesting thing. We're here today to talk about to read or not to read The Lord of the Rings. But my answer on The Hobbit is going to be completely different. Do you agree with what I'm saying, though? You should read The Hobbit before you read The Lord of the Rings? Or can um, you skip The Hobbit? What do you think? I don't think it's as necessary to read The Lord of the Rings, specifically. That being said... I'm going to recommend one of them. I'm going to tell you, you need to read The Hobbit. I think The Hobbit is more a book that I'm going to tell more people to read. It's something more people will enjoy and maybe haven't read. Uh, it's more approachable. Now, what about if people just want to know about the story of The Lord of the Rings? Is just watching the movies a fine alternative and skip the work of reading through the books? For The Lord of the Rings? Absolutely. For The Hobbit? Absolutely not. <laughs> For The Hobbit, don't watch the movies. For The Lord of the Rings, you can watch the movies. You could watch The Lord <laughs> of the Rings movies and read The Hobbit the book, not get too deep into the lore in the Silmarillion. And will, are you missing out on things? Yes. But are you getting a wonderful experience and a good, good taste of Tolkien? Absolutely. All right. Last comment I'll ask here then. We have on Amazon Prime coming out later this year, The Rings of Power. Mm -hmm. A brand new adaptation based on the works of Tolkien set into the world of Middle Earth, but really telling a story that doesn't exist anywhere. They're they're coming right out and saying it's the book Tolkien never wrote, but would have if he thought of it and had the time. <laughs> what are you thinking? Are you excited? The more I learn about it, the actually the more interested I am. The more I learn about it, the more I'm like, I'm going to watch it. It's going to happen. But the less excited I am, just because it feels like they're trying to brand being something new and different enough. And I'm like, there's a lot of good content that you just should be using. And I even go as far as to say, even if you don't pull something straight from the Silmarillion, even if you don't go deeper into something that was already written there, there's some wonderful games that pull content from the Silmarillion, even some, uh, and then go their own way and do invent new material that are fantastic and tell a great story. So 
there's a lot of material here. Why are we putting more words in Tolkien's mouth? I've seen one thing out there that in, in social media that people have been worried about, frustrated about, challenging about, and it ties into what we've seen with the adaptation of Wheel of Time, that there's no denying the Wheel of Time has been, in, in Amazon Prime's version, been made very culturally, culturally relevant. There, you know, the negative term is woke. Okay, you know, where they're adding things to it that you could say, yeah, it's in the books, but they've really leaned into it. And that's to appeal to today's modern audiences. There's nothing like that in Tolkien anywhere. And people are concerned it's going to show up in this new version. Any thoughts? I don't personally really care. If it's good, I'm going to enjoy it. If it's not, I'm not. And whether or not it feels woke or not, won't actually impact my personal enjoyment. I see some people who won't enjoy that as much. I see some people who will love it for it. And it doesn't really impact me personally. Yeah. I'll personally throw out there that I hope it that doesn't come into this particular version because that wasn't what Tolkien did. You can make the argument Robert Jordan was, and, and I'll stand by that, that he was advanced for his time. And there were things, elements in his story that they've chosen to elevate in the TV version that are still true to the books. But that was not J.R.R. Tolkien. He was very traditional in how he did things. And I would hope they they hold on to that ethic so it ties in well with everything else that's out there. But that's my old fuddy-duddy preference. <laughs> if they go different directions with it, I, I'm still going to watch it and I'll probably still enjoy it. I'm looking for a good story. Just like we always do with fantasy. That's the thing. If it is different for flavor, fantastic. If it's different and just doesn't feel like Middle Earth, there's something wrong. Don't don't force things. You know, come on, stay true to what exists and tell a good story. All right. Anything else? I think that sums it up for what we want to talk about today, right? I'm okay with that. (laughs) It has Zach's stamp of approval i wouldn't go that that. far (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you for being with us here today everybody we uh we do have an outro thing i can play here now so all the stuff we used to say to remind you to support us and connect with us it's gonna show on your screen now and maybe we'll have the occasional snarky comment to come along as we go i don't know let's see what happens shall we zach let's see I like the red text. It really uh, puts what we want people to be noticing. I appreciate that. I tried to add more color. See, we got some green fantasy Mm. for the ages. But then I tried to turn Twitter, Twitter blue, and it made everything blue. Ooh, that's not so good. You could have. I guess Twitter like takes over. Instagram would be like a nice reddish orange, and Facebook. I I tried. I tried. I was stealing all the real colors. Email if you can get it to be rainbow, like the Gmail logo. That'd be great. Don't think it's gonna happen. (laughs) can only do so much, I'm afraid. Bye, son. Bye.